we're in a message series from Acts, book of Acts called Spirit, Mission, and Drama, and the title of today's message is Both Spirit and Structure. And here's a statement I'd like to put up on the screen, and that is, we, we do not have to choose between spirit and structure. We can do both and. and let me tell you why this is important. Uh, the early church had significant growth quickly, and they had their hands full because many people with numerous needs plus high expectations equals endless responsibilities. And so today we're in a section of Scripture that looks at organization and structure practically in a church. And you say, well, that just doesn't sound very appealing at all. Well, I get that. I do. Um, but it's important in your life in the church, and I think these principles can also be applied to your family, to your work, to a number of organizations. But in the church, if a church has any degree of health at all, the Spirit of God is at work because only the Holy Spirit can produce spiritual vitality over the long haul. Only the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit of the Spirit over the long haul. And where the Spirit is, you'll find Jesus Christ exalted in ever-increasing measures. But God is not opposed to structure. He's not opposed to organization. Occasionally, you'll have someone uh, say, well, I don't really believe in organized religion. Well, you know what? A lot of good things have been done by people who are fairly well organized over the years. Organization actually comes from the very character of God. God created an organized world, did he not? With a regularity to the rotation of the earth and the tides and the seasons. We can predict certain, you know, you can, you can go online and figure out what the average temperature will be in Houston in July. You don't have to worry about a freeze hitting us in August. Things are organized in God's way. When Israel was a theocracy, God divided the nation into what? Twelve groupings, twelve tribes. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, when it comes to worship in the local church, do not let there be chaos. Let things be done decently and in order. And healthy structure, healthy organization should facilitate the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, though, the Spirit is willing, but the structure is weak. Sometimes the Spirit is willing, but the organization is weak. Now, you cannot manage spiritual matters. No programming can substitute for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But neither can you just spiritualize management matters. All right? So, we're going to see a dilemma in the early church. We're going to see how the apostles responded to it. All right, let's, point number one, the apostles will choose to face inevitable problems head on. That's what they're going to do. They will choose to face an inevitable problem head on. They'll not ignore it. They'll not be defensive about it. So, here we go. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, that's a good thing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews 
because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, you see, the early church, they're facing a problem here. It's an organizational one. Notice, it's not a belief problem. It's not a lack of compassion or a lack of care, but certain widows are being neglected and overlooked. And I'm not talking about whether they're not getting as much attention as they want. That's not it. They're not getting their daily distribution of food that they need to survive. And that's significant because taking care of widows is godly business in the Bible. But something has broken down in the church. Again, not a lack of compassion, not a lack of effort, but some Grecian widows have fallen through the cracks, if you will, in church ministry. And for these widows with no extended family, the church and its early Meals on Wheels program got them through day by day. And so this early church faces a moment of tension, widowgate, if you will, in this Jerusalem church. Things had been going so well, but now, listen carefully, the Grecian widows have been overlooked. And it feels like bigotry. It feels like prejudice. It feels like maybe someone's done this deliberately. I mean, who's going to fall through the cracks first? It's going to be someone without extended family around. And these are Greek-speaking. They didn't grow up in Jerusalem speaking Aramaic. They didn't go to Jerusalem middle school, Jerusalem high school. They moved in later. And unless you don't think this is very, very practical, let me just ask you. Do you have any concern for someone who didn't grow up around here? Do you have any concern for someone who might be a newcomer here? Do you have any concern for someone for whom English might not be their first language? I think we would all say yes, but it's sort of like that, oh, who's going to bell that cat fable? where all the mice said, you know, it would be a great idea if we put a bell around the cat's neck. That way we'll always know where he is. And and all the mice said, wonderful idea. And then someone said, who's going to bell that cat? Who's going to put the bell around the cat's neck? It's a wonderful concept. We want everyone welcomed. We want everyone, we don't want anyone to fall through the crack. As long as it doesn't affect my group. It wasn't intentional to slight these Grecian widows. But it was felt. And the impact was very, very real. And quite honestly, the problem was simply a structural problem. The church had grown. And it had grown beyond their structure. And the apostles, it's not like some of them were lazy. They just couldn't get it all done. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Lyle Schaller. Lyle Schaller was a church consultant. His, by training, he was an urban planner. But in a lot of studies, it's shown that Lyle Schaller is appreciated and respected by so many people across the board in church leadership circles. Now, 
his primary research, quite honestly, is to North American Protestant churches. But Schaller said the mistake that so many people make is they think that a larger church is just like a smaller church, just with more people. He said, you couldn't be more wrong. It's a completely different animal as a church gets larger over time. And he even put names to them. For example, let me put this on the screen. He said, some churches are cat churches. You, you want to know what a cat church is? They have nine lives. It's a church of about 35 to 40 people, and you see them and you think, well, bless their heart. Look at all those gray heads out here. That church won't be here in another 20 years. Yes, they are. Yes, they, they got nine lives. When Martha was my girlfriend, I mean, she's still my girlfriend, but my wife of 41, but when she was my girlfriend, she would go with me, and I'd preach on Sundays in college at the Shady Grove Church of Christ. Bless their heart, they're not going to be around another 20 years. 40 years later, they're still going, they got nine lives. And then collie churches, collie churches, churches up to about 80 to 100 people, and, and they love one another. But if an outsider comes in, they might bark. For the last three days, Martha and I have been uh, taking care of our grand dog, Sam. And Sam is a golden retriever, and he is just a great guy. And Sam loves our family, and if, and if I were vouching for you, he'd love you. But if you walked up without a proper introduction, you would get a big dog bark. Shaller says some churches are like that. And then there are house churches, up to a couple hundred people. And, it, oh, it feels like we know everyone. This is my group. We sort of know everybody. And, and, uh, and it's just kind of one big happy family. And, oh, where's, where's Uncle Harry today? And where's Joe today? We didn't see so-and-so today. I mean, you kind of know everybody. And, but then it becomes a little more complex when you become a garden church. And now you're about 350 people and you don't just have a house, you got a garden. And the complexity level has increased. And then you become a ranch church. And now you're close to 500 people. And you know what it's like on a ranch, don't you? Something always needs fixing. Something's always broken. Well, we just fixed that, you know, last month. Yeah. Something's always broken. Something always needs fixing, and a ranch is not like a cat, not like a dog. Something's always broke. And then he says, once you get beyond 700, you're a mini denomination. Very complex, multiple groups, multiple layers of groups, multiple layers of subgroups. A larger church is not just a bigger version of a smaller church. It's incredibly complex. In a smaller church, things just sort of happen spontaneously, organically. In a larger church, you have to be much more intentional. In a larger church, you can fall through the cracks. You can be very anonymous, and quite honestly, a lot of people like that. But it's hard to do accountability in a larger church. Actually harder to do pastoral care in a larger church. That's why we tell, tell you, we can't read your mind, but you can communicate with us. In a smaller church, we just, you just sort of notice it organically. 
You need to know, I've, I've mentioned this uh, over the last few weeks, we're going to be giving strong attention towards rebuilding our, our small group ministry. And I'm going to ask you, urge you to participate, urge you to help, help us to, uh, to continue to build that ministry and find your spot. Well, here you have this wonderful early church, but they have a dilemma. And the apostles are saying, this just, we cannot ignore this. Every widow in this, there, there doesn't need to be a needy one among us. And so they're asking the right question. How can we fix this? How can we solve this? You do know, don't you, that there are critical people out there who see everything wrong. They see nothing right. Everything's wrong. There are complacent people out there who never see anything that needs to be improved. But there are creative people, praise God, who can see something that's amiss or broken and can be improved and grown and, and helped. And thankfully, that's what the apostles do. Notice they don't become defensive. They don't ignore it. But neither did they say, well, you just let us handle it while you sit back and watch. What they did was, well, that leads to point two, they chose to embrace participation for a solution. They chose to embrace participation for a solution. Verse 2, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Just wouldn't be right. They said, we have priorities we need to do. And serving our windows, our, our widows, is absolutely needed. But we can't leave this ministry to do that ministry. It's become too large. And so they said, verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit. They're all in. They love the Lord. They love his people. They're full of wisdom. In other words, they've got some emotional intelligence here. And we will turn this, minute, this responsibility over to them. And we will continue to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word, to spiritual ministry. And verse 5, as one person as well said, describes the greatest miracle in the entire book of Acts. This proposal pleased the whole group. That's a miracle. I was taught when I got, went into ministry, 10% of the people will oppose anything. If you were to ask them, how many of you want to go to heaven? 10% would oppose it. And here you have this proposal actually pleased the whole group. Hey, let me read a scripture out of 1 Peter 4. Just go a little sidebar here. Above all, would you love each other deeply? Because love can cover over a multitude of sins. Hey, I just want to remind you that in this episode we're reading in Acts, you don't see anyone assuming the worst. It's a structure problem. Nobody's calling for repentance. It's an organizational problem. They need to, to tweak that. 
No one's assuming the worst in one another. We can fix this. This is solvable. Because love can cover over a multitude of things that are broken. And offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, the greatest resource a church has is its people who are surrendered to one another, surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And so here are the apostles. They're facing a problem, and they face it. They're not defensive. They face it. They delegate responsibility. And the third thing they did, they, they stick with their own priorities, their own values and their own priorities. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. They were appointed. They were platformed. And notice, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem continued to increase rapidly, and even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You know, sometimes engineers will occasionally ask this question, and some of you out there who are engineers, you know this. If we solve this problem, what new problem are we creating? It would have been, it, it's not a bad thing to distribute food to widows. It's not a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. But if the apostles had said, we're going to neglect our apostolic priorities to do a ministry that other very qualified people can be responsible for, good things can happen. And so the early church, they face a problem caused by an outdated structure. They met that problem with sensitivity and appropriate change and the solution was what? Increased participation, welcoming a diversity of gifts. The solution was a new kind of teamwork in the body of Christ. Gang, let me just remind you. It takes all of us. And we all have finite amounts of time. I'm full-time ministry, but I'm not unlimited time ministry. We all have finite amounts of time. We all have finite resources. We all have finite waking hours. You can only, we all have just so many Lego points. We're all like Legos. Just have so many connection points. And if I'm connecting somebody new, i got to disconnect. We can't possibly know everyone in a sizable group. That doesn't mean we can't know several someones, that there's a place for you to know and be known and serve. But we have to have reasonable expectations and reasonable spans of care. I uh, watched a funeral yesterday morning for a good friend of mine, Jeff Robinson. Died too soon, died too young. Really good man. Jeff and I used to co-lead church camps together. I first met him when I spoke at a church where he was a youth minister back in the early 80s. We became fast friends over the years. When I got word this past week that he had become seriously ill very quickly and, uh, and died last Sunday, I thought, I, I've not talked to Jeff in too long. It's just been too long since we touched base. You say, well, Ronnie, did, did you two have a falling out? We didn't have a falling out. 
Well, did he have something against you? You have something? No, not at all. There was a time when we lived fairly close to one another and a season in our life and we were, and we were tight. And then seasons change and we all have just so much time and connection points. Not a one of us has unlimited. That's why in a sizable church, the more important it is to be connected in your group. Now, uh, and so here they raise up new leaders, additional leaders, and you know what a leader is. A leader is someone who takes initiative and accepts responsibility. And they were fantastic. And I'm so thankful that when they found those, those seven people to help with that ministry, that they said, yes, count me in. I'll accept responsibility and I'll take initiative. You know, there's an interesting book that came out a few years ago called Everything is Obvious. It was written by Duncan Watts, who had been a researcher at Microsoft, had been a been a university professor, and he still is, I, I believe at Wharton Business School. But he, he, he talks in the book about posing a problem to, his, uh, to a university class. And he said, here, here's the dilemma. He said, I want you to consider two countries. In country A, 12% of the population agrees to be an organ donor. In country B, 99% of the population has agreed to be an organ donor. And he asked his class, what accounts for the difference? They came up with lots of possibilities, better med medical care in one country or maybe some religious differences. He said, well, let me just tell you, these two countries are located right next to one another. Country A, 12% organ donors is Germany. Austria, right next door, 99% organ donors. He said, so what accounts for the difference? They began to guess it, debate it over and over and over. And finally, he said, all their reasons were wrong. And the real reason is quite boring and simple. It's structural. It's administrative. It goes like this. In Germany, at least at the time the book was written, you have to sign up. You have to opt in to be an organ donor. In Austria, you're automatically an organ donor, and you have to opt out intentionally. Joel Smith, by the way, wants to begin that program here for our children's ministry where you're automatically in and then you have to opt out. And the point in his book is that the difference was entirely administrative and organizational and sometimes just a slight tweak can make a significant difference. Those of you in the business world, you hear this all the time. You can't just work in your job, you got to work on it. 
you got to step back and say, okay, let me work on my job. Is there a way that it can be tweaked and improved how we approach this? A 5% improvement, a 10% improvement. Let's work on this. And let me ask you to bring that same mindset into your family, into your ministry, into your class, into your group. And so here you have the apostles, and they said, it's, it's wonderful that we have more and more disciples, but we have some Grecian widows in this church, and for some reason, they as a group have been overlooked, and that's just not acceptable here. We've got to fix this problem, and thankfully, the church stepped up and helped out, and they did. They faced the problem. They weren't defensive over it. This is a problem. It's got to be addressed. They delegated responsibility. And those to whom the responsibility was delegated, they stepped up and served beautifully. Hey, I've got one more point, and it's just a closing exhortation and appreciation to you. And it goes like this. Aim to be, aim to continue to be a person who's full of the Spirit and wisdom. To be that kind of person that says, you know, we need someone who can be a problem solver here. And for you to continue to be that person who's all in for Jesus, who's all in for God's people, and, and you're willing to be a problem solver, that you will serve with purpose, you'll serve other people, you'll solve problems, you'll bring positive energy and you'll seek to be that kind of leader that says, I'm willing to accept responsibility. I'm willing to take initiative because I believe that God can do something through me. And he can. And my friends, he is. And I'm grateful for you. God is continuing to do something in you and through you. Tim Smith, would you be making your way up here and uh, as you serve and as you lead, whether it's in a uh, smaller environment or a larger environment, continue to serve and lead with diligence, with humility, but with the boldness of the Holy Spirit as well.